Hey everyone, it's Sadia and welcome back to another episode of Immigrantly, a weekly podcast that features deeply personal conversations around race, identity and the immigrant experience. Whether you are curled up on the sofa with a cup of coffee or out for a quick jog, I hope you are feeling happy, healthy and ready to tackle whatever is on your to-do list. And if you're not there and need a little pick-me-up, that's okay too. Whenever I'm feeling stuck or drained of energy, I think of one thing that would make me happy and add that to my plans. Today, it's a warm latte from Blank Street. I have it right now with me. So for you, whether that is hot chocolate or a rom-com or even drinks with friends, try it. Seriously, feeling good is so important and we should all prioritize it as much as we can. Hopefully this podcast is bringing you as much joy as it brings me. So on to today's topic sexuality. Maybe the word freaks you out a little bit. Maybe it incites a million questions as it does for me. Or maybe you avoid the topic altogether. Don't worry, you are not alone. And this episode's guest is the perfect person to unpack this topic with us. So why is that we stumble when we discuss sexuality? You know, it should be a joyous topic rather than one fraught with shame, confusion and invisibility. Even as we get more shows and movies out there that attempt, and I use the word attempt, to tackle stigmas around sexuality and identity, non-white and immigrant communities are still often left out of this representation. Dr. Varuna Shirinivasan, a sexual health professional and queer advocate, is all about switching up the narrative. Yep, you heard it right. She is the founder of Tara Health Media, an online resource for sexual education that emphasizes intersectional and inclusive knowledge. She's also written articles for parents well and good in various the lily, allure, and health, where she covers everything from her coming out journey, anti-racism in sex education, and even testicles with taste buds. Yeah. You heard that right. I'll definitely have to ask her about that one. Without further ado, let's welcome Varuna to the show. Hi, Varuna. It's so good to have you on my podcast. How are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? I am good. And there is so much that we have to talk about. Some interesting stuff, some not as comfortable, Mm -hmm. but still fun. But before that, I want to congratulate you on your cover feature for India's Cosmopolitan. Oh my gosh. (laughs) You look amazing. There is so much joy and personality that shines through in that particular photo and you know what I was looking at that and I was like we'll start with you when we see you on the cover of a magazine what should we know about Dr. Varona Shri Navasan? 
Well, first of all, thank you for your kind words. You're so sweet. I'm extremely privileged to have been on the cover. It definitely came together quite quickly, but I definitely feel grateful that I was recognized for my efforts. So for those of you who are listening who don't know me, my name is Varuna and my pronouns are she, they. I call myself a gender justice advocate. And so as a queer woman who is from India, who immigrated here six years ago, I have been doing a lot of work around advancing gender and sexuality, mainly within South Asian populations. That's my niche topic. Growing up, I don't think I had a lot of sex education. I had recently come out as being bisexual in my 30s after being married. And I found that that story resonated with a lot of people, especially who are brown, growing up in immigrant families. And even for people back home, I have a large base of my audience on Instagram. About, I would say, 70% are from India and often talk to me about being queer or wanting to explore their queer side, but it isn't really encouraged. And so a lot of the work I do around that is education and trying to create positive communal spaces where we feel safe in exploring our own identities and how that ties into our culture. I love that, Verona. And you're doing something that we're doing on Immigrantly as well. So mm-hmm. basically deconstructing narratives, speaking blunt truths yeah. that can be uncomfortable yet so liberating. And let's talk about the education piece of it. Now, there is so much misinformation out there mm-hmm. about bodies, sex, health. But what I really love about your platform is that you deconstruct them, confront issues in a very nice, older sister kind of vibe. And that's what I really like. Now, your column, your advice column is a place where people anonymously send their burning questions and then you respond. And I was browsing through it and I was like, oh my gosh, I am learning so much because as a cisgender heterosexual female, I was conditioned to think think a certain way. Yeah. I still have to stop myself and Mm -hmm. unlearn a lot of those misconceptions. So for me, that is such a nice, informative, easy space to internalize that information and learn from it. I mean, there are so many questions people have asked you, but mm-hmm. I thought I'll share one, yeah. which you have already answered on your Instagram. Yeah. <laughs> but we want you to answer it here as well. Okay. <laughs> so the question is, and I quote, I identify as a woman while I am sexually attracted to men. I I am romantically attracted to both men and women. What does it mean? So could you answer it here for our listeners? Yes, absolutely. When we think about sexuality, we often think just about sexual attraction. But a big portion of that is also romantic attraction, Mm. emotional attraction, intellectual attraction, right? And so there are various forms of attraction and not just the attraction that we feel in interpersonal relationships, right? But the ones that we feel towards ourselves and society at large. And based on that, there are, I would say, several labels. And I call them labels because our life experiences are so diverse and no two people are the same. If it resonates with you, take it. If it doesn't, don't take it. That's kind of my (laughs) policy, right? So while we are almost in a sense, and I use this word in quotations as well, which is groomed to grow up in a certain way, our society is almost violently cis-heteronormative and compulsory monogamy and compulsory heteronormativity is a norm almost where we feel like we have to follow it. And so a lot of us don't think about what it means to be romantically attracted to someone. 
someone who isn't someone of, say, again, quotations, the opposite gender. And so I think it's amazing that the person asking this question is saying, I am romantically attracted to someone of the same gender. I am sexually attracted to someone of a different gender. And I think while I definitely encourage people to think about their attraction, like sexual attraction, and find a space that belongs to them, sometimes it's okay to just think about it and mm-hmm. let it be to say, I'm emotionally attracted to this person and that's that. It doesn't right. need a label. It doesn't need any form of further thought about it. And maybe that isn't even associated with my identity. I'm just emotionally attracted to this one person that I had a conversation with. And that's amazing. I love that, Varuna, because what you're saying is stop apologizing. Yeah. A lot of times we continue to do that. We still are looking for boxes, even if we know deep down that sexuality is probably on a spectrum and everybody feels different things at different times and it evolves and it evolves for everybody. I'm sure it has evolved for me as well. But at the same time, we are trying to box people. So, okay, let's put this person in a box. Now that I have romantic feelings towards a person from the same gender, then I must be X, Y, Z. Exactly. Yeah. How do we unlearn that? Well, I think we live in a society where there is such a need to label things. Take the label if it resonates, don't take it if it doesn't resonate. Whereas I think that my stance is definitely something that's what works for you may not work for another. And people are so quick to judge you or try to force you to be something. And I get a lot of DMs and I get a lot of messages from people that are like, am I bisexual? Like, tell me if I am bisexual. Oh my gosh. And I am like, I love you, but I can't do that. Like, I can't tell you that you are bisexual. I can't give you a criteria. I can't give you a checklist. There isn't a checklist and there isn't a criteria, right? Like, we may go on, again, like BuzzFeed quizzes or we might do some, like, am I gay quiz? And I'm sure that a lot of you did it and found solace in it and helped you come to terms with your identity. But everyone has to go through their own journey and come to terms with what they feel. And I think what I really want to encourage is for people to feel the attraction in a non-judgmental way. Like be non-judgmental towards yourself, right? Because Mm. a lot of us have internalized queer phobia, biphobia, transphobia, homophobia. And so whenever we even say, oh, I like to wear these kinds of clothes, does that make me trans? I mean, it can Mm. if you wanted to. Or you could just wear the clothes that you like. You could just wear your hair the way you like. Mm. You can be attracted to whomever you like. And that's that. Maruna, this is a great segue into a question which I was going to ask you down the line, but I think this is a good time to ask. Now, I was listening to one of your podcast episodes and you talk about transgender kids and how parents should support or facilitate that journey, which makes a lot of sense to me. But as a mom of two girls, while I've given them space to have those conversations with me and I want them to be honest in whatever process or whatever journey they are going through. At the same time, I feel, especially with kids, that, as you said, sexuality, gender identity is a journey. Mm -hmm. It's an evolution process. It's not a snapshot. How do we understand the journey itself? And again, not try to box our kids. Sometimes there's this conflation of gender norms and gender identity or gender identification. So sure, boys don't have to play with trucks. Mm -hmm. Why should boys play with trucks only or have guns or go (laughs) hunting, all that bullshit, right? And why should girls wear pink? 
Right. Let's just park it. Let's just get rid of it. But those are gender norms that have been defined by the society. It's a social construct. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we judge folks or children or adults based on that. So yeah. we are like, okay, if this kid is not playing with trucks, then they must be something else. How do we parse that out? While I can try to answer that in this podcast, I definitely think it has to be more of a collective and societal effort. And there are so many advocates out there who are doing amazing work to help us understand gender. I really encourage everyone to listen to Alok. They are amazing and talk so much about getting rid of the gender binary and how mm. it boxes us, how everyone should live the way that they want to live. But I will say from my point of view and from what I've seen, kids are kids and should be kids. And almost all of the children are very heavily influenced by their environment. And so when we tell someone who is assigned male, we tell a boy when they come out, I want to buy this pink teddy bear. And the dad's like, no, let me buy you a toy gun. That's almost like conditioning to say, actually, the thing that you like has meaning attached to it. And it goes against the grain of our culture and our society. And everyone's going to associate you being, quote unquote, a sissy or not a real true boy or a man. And that's almost a way that we perpetuate toxic masculinity. I was going to say that. Yes. Yes. (laughs) And for girls as well, right? I think it's almost a cultural conditioning where not only just pink, right? But when I was growing up, I remember that I would sit with my legs almost open in the car and my dad would say, stop sitting like a boy. And I would be like, well, it's really comfortable for me to just sit with my legs open. (laughs) Like, I'm sorry. And the joke was always, she's such a tomboy. She's going to grow out of it, right? And I don't blame my parents at all. You know, growing up in India, especially in Chennai, which is, of course, a conservative culture, hyper-feminine women are prioritized and it's almost easier for us to navigate through society. And so I almost have a conflict with my own femininity. But I do think that if I was given that space to say, it seems like you really like short hair. Or even my parents just left it. They were like, she wears baggy clothes and she has short hair and bob cuts and that's okay. It doesn't really mean anything. That's just her gender expression right Mm. now. And really not trying to assign meaning to it. Really not trying to control it or box it up, right? Like what we were talking about. It was often like, oh, she is a tomboy. Stop cutting your hair so short. And so they would be mad at me when I cut my hair short. By the way, I'm loving your short hair right now. Thank you so much. (laughs) I know. Now in my life, I have control of the things that I do, of course. And I think a lot of people are like, I've never seen you with long hair. I'm like, that's part of my gendered expression. It has stuck on and I still wear baggy clothes. As you can see, my shirt is twice the size that it should be. And Why should it matter? Exactly, right? So, and I think that this should be applied to kids as well. Like kids are kids. And so when they come and tell you to call them a certain name and kids as young as four know their own gender identity, they come into their own. And so they can tell whether they are cis or whether they are trans, whether they're gender fluid, whether they want to kind of play around with different Mm. clothes. And I think as parents and as adults, we have to create that environment for them to have a healthy exploration of what that means. I like the word exploration. Again, not boxing anybody right away. Right. And I just want to preface that I am coming from a place of a lack of experience, ignorance. I don't have kids who are struggling or have struggled with gender identity. So for me to make that judgment call is extremely unfair. But what I'm trying to understand is how we define gender norms versus how we talk about gender identity. And it's important to separate the two because They may overlap, but they are still separate. Varuna, I have some interesting thing to ask you. And this is like I'm circling back to your Instagram, TikTok, social media life. 
you've been covering a lot of weird TikTok facts. And I promised our listeners I'll ask you about testicles with taste buds. <laughs> okay, what is that all about? Settle this matter for us. So I had a column at Inverse magazine where I was covering really strange TikTok fads. And so there was this really funny fad on TikTok where, you know how they come on the camera and they're like, did you know that right. testicles have taste buds? I'm going <laughs> to test it out today. So just went and got some soy sauce and we're going to do this little science experiment together. And don't be nasty in the comments. This is the human anatomy. Oh, but I'm not going to put it on my anus. <laughs> I can taste the salt. That's ridiculous. And it's this grown man sitting in a car, dipping his testicles in soy sauce. And it's like, oh. I taste it. It's salty. And then like, it started this trend where different men were trying to dip their testicles. One of them even dipped it in like sticky toffee uh, uh. to see if it tasted sweet. And it was almost like, yeah, it tastes sweet. And so some of those videos got millions of views. And I, and I thought it was hilarious. And I was like, well, that kind of doesn't make sense. As a physician, the testicles are surrounded by skin and skin doesn't have taste buds. So <laughs> that doesn't track. But let me look into the research. And I looked into the research. It does show that testicles do have taste receptors, not the same taste receptors within the buds on our tongue. And so the taste receptors on our tongue, we can sense a variety of tastes and flavors, right? So it's heat, umami, sweet, right. salt. The same is not for the ones in the testicles. <laughs> <laughs> Genetically, the presence of those taste receptors help with fertility and sperm ah. motility. And so scientists are still looking into it, but have shown that a lack of those taste receptors are linked to infertility. It was an interesting, interesting piece. I think one of the most viewed posts I have on Instagram. Yeah, so I'm glad I asked about <laughs> it, right? <laughs> so I want to go back to your journey, yeah. right? Your sexual journey. And before I do that, I want to quote something from your Cosmo feature, which really resonated with me. And here's what you said, and I quote, I think one of my best qualities is resilience brought on by not just hope, but also softness. It can be easy to get jaded, hardened, and bogged down by the world. We constantly witness atrocities that bleed into our lives. As queer people, we are made out to be the enemy, quote unquote. We internalize so much of it, but our resilience and self-care are forms of resistance. Unquote. I mean, wow, it's so lyrical and provocative. And while we talk about sex and sexuality, we also have to recognize that marginalized identities are expected to be tough, right? Because we have to guard ourselves against the bigotry of the outside world. Sometimes we close up because of what we are seeing and how we preserve ourselves. And anyone who's seen your social media, your Instagram can tell the pure joy and unapologetic pride that you have. And I was wondering, how have you been balancing between confronting that intolerance and still empowering your joy and self-care and being so unapologetic about it? 
Thank you, first of all, for reading out that quote, because it serves as almost like an affirmation and a reminder to me. So thank you for that. When I wrote that, I was thinking, the question was, what do you think is your best quality? And I thought about all the times I would sit on Instagram and I would feel incredibly stressed out or even TikTok, where because I have intersecting identities, it isn't just the fact that I'm queer. I'm also exposed to a fair share of sexism and misogyny. And so coming into the world as a bisexual woman, there's a lot of comments about how I'm promiscuous, how I'm cheating, how I'm like pretending to do this for clout. And I feel like my most viral videos is almost bittersweet. Even on TikTok and Instagram, I have one video that's 7 million. And while it got me a lot of followers and that was exciting, I mean, who doesn't like to see their follow account? It was actually the most stressful period of my life because I got so many hate comments about how mm. I was indulging in threesomes and Threesomes are amazing. They are good for people who want to engage in them. But right. somehow conflating that every bisexual person is promiscuous and engages in threesomes and is there to serve the male gaze, I feel that view is problematic. And that was the kind of comments that I was getting. And I had to limit comments. And my husband had to literally take the phone away from me because I would screenshot them. I was trying to make posts about them. I was trying to like come up with like quirky ways to like respond to them. But every time I was doing that, I felt more bogged down by it. And so then I was just like, why? Why am I doing this? Like, it is right. so counterproductive. I'm just going to let it be. I'm going to silence the notifications on that post. I'm going to limit comments. And honestly, if people don't want to follow me, or maybe if it doesn't reach an audience that I wanted to reach, that's also fine because right. I have to like self-preserve right now. And I think during that moment, I was like, what is something that I can really rely on? I can rely on compassion. I can rely on empathy. I can rely on the fact that my identity matters to me and the people around me believe me and see me for who I am. And, and it's your truth. It is my truth. Exactly. And so I really think that finding that softness and saying, actually, I'm just going to continue to be this chirpy, fun, loving person. And I'm not going to be that angry person that you want me to be. And I'm not going to like get back at you. I'm not going to try to be mean to you. I'm just going to like walk away from this conversation, but with love and just say, I'm sorry. I really hope that you find where you need to go. And it hurts for you to see that I've already reached a <laughs> place that you want to, but also kind of really focusing on those who reach out to me and say, your work has influenced my identity. Your work has helped me come to terms with my bisexuality. I just came out to my family. Someone from my hometown emailed me and said, I had a conversation with my mom the other day and she was like, what does it mean to be gay? And she was like, I'm having conversations with my mom that I never thought that I would have. Mm. And this is a conservative woman who is at 60 years breaking generational trauma. And so that, I think it means so much more. And I'm really trying to outweigh all of the negative in my life with the positive. And talking about misconceptions, it's mind-boggling to see how normalized that are. Exactly. I'm pretty sure I have certain preconceived notions about bisexuality or anything that falls outside the heteronormative framework because we are so conditioned and prepped for that only. Mm -hmm. So I was wondering, what are some of the misconceptions that you see on social media or people ask you that really drive you crazy? I think several drive me crazy, but I think the worst one is like, how do you manage having sex with women at the same time? So almost as soon as they see that I'm bisexual, they're like, how many women have you slept with? And how do you balance that out with your marriage, right? And oh, so wow. I just 
want to say that I am not polyamorous. Polyamory and people who are polyamorous is a very valid lifestyle and relationship structure. And people who can be bisexual and be polyamorous, I am not. But the idea that every bisexual person needs to be polyamorous in order to be valid in their identity, I find that to be very problematic. Mm. And so when people automatically thrust that onto me or ask me really invasive questions because they think that I'm queer, like, are you a virgin then? And it's just like, I don't really know how that's like relevant to my sexual identity. But I think what I really want to say is that even though I am public and I have quite a large following on Instagram and I talk very candidly about my sexuality, it is not an invitation to enter my space and be disrespectful. You can often tell that these questions are not coming from an ignorant or an innocent point of view. It's almost malicious. It's almost Mm. like, let me point out this thing that I think is really like problematic with being bisexual. Mm. And it's almost like, Actually, I don't really care about your opinion, but thank you so much. (laughs) Thank you so much for that. (laughs) Verna, you came out as bisexual relatively recently in 2020, and I was going to ask you, oh, you know, anything or anyone who inspired you, and then I stopped myself. And I was like, why do we always assume that there will be some epiphany or some inflection point or some trigger, and then people are like, oh my gosh, now I know who I am. And I literally had to stop myself and say, fuck that question. The right thing is, it's a process. It's a journey. It's an evolution. And everybody will discover themselves in their own time. And that question is not even relevant. And the reason why I'm saying that is because I was going to ask. And then I stopped myself. So guys, check what you're asking, what you're saying, how you're framing and crafting your questions. Moving on. (laughs) I want to talk about your relationship with your husband. You know, it's funny because when I reached out to Isra, I was like, you know, I am looking for this fun, interesting couple who can talk about their interracial marriage relationship. And then when she recommended you, I looked at your Instagram and I read about you and I was like, you know, Verona has so much more to offer. So let's steer away from that and let's talk about her. But I still believe that you have such interesting, cute relationship. And you talk about how both of you went for therapy before you got married, just to understand each other's cultural identity. I don't know how fun it was for you. I have done therapy with my husband. Sometimes it's fun. Sometimes it's not that fun. And your husband supports you, which is amazing. And I wonder what that dynamic looks like. And how do you navigate different cultural, racial aspects of your life through this marriage and within the marriage? I love talking about this part of my life. And you're right. I was looking for a couples therapist right now again. And I want to preface this by saying that couples therapy isn't just for people who are having problems, who are trying to like avoid getting divorced or are fighting. (laughs) I had very specifically reached out for a therapist who could help us navigate this cultural divide almost. Hmm. And I say that only because I think as immigrants, white assimilation is far easier, especially my husband being a white cishet man, for him to also teach him to respect and appreciate our culture in a way that's genuine and Hmm. authentic. And not patronizing. And not patronizing, exactly. And not like almost like a white savior sort of a way, right? And these are really hard topics to confront. And so when we fight, I almost feel like 
it's husband and wife fighting. But sometimes our identities almost come into play, right? There's a power imbalance where he is white, he is cis, and I'm brown, I'm queer, I'm also genderqueer. And so like, I have a lot of experiences from my life and he has a lot of different experiences from his life. And when we fight, it almost feels like we're both approaching it from completely different Mm. points of view. And I almost struggle with knowing in the future that if we have a mixed race child, how are we going to raise them, Mm. especially in a culture that thrives on white assimilation. And white supremacy. And white supremacy, exactly. And I almost feel so uncomfortable wearing Indian clothes here, subduing my Diwali celebrations. And I think that over the last couple of years, I've just really like tried to dive into what it means to be South Asian. No, And it right. isn't just like, oh, I'm wearing a bindi, I'm wearing a salwar and I'm walking on the streets. Like, okay, yes, that is a form of decolonizing. But I think more like, how can we undo some of the traumas that we have experienced? How can we talk about caste? How can we talk about colorism? Mm. How can we talk about race and ethnicities and all of that stuff? And so like, I think that our therapist really helped So like William reads now a lot about the caste system. We kind of went through our own journeys together where I was unpacking caste and I'm still unpacking caste supremacy and he's unpacking white supremacy and bringing that together to see how we can influence not just ourselves, but the society around us. And I will say from like a queer point of view, coming out to him was one of the best decisions I ever made because he is an ally and he's always been an ally. You know, even in his work, he works a lot with queer kids and trans kids and he runs trans support groups for trans men and is just such an incredible ally to his kids. He is a child and adolescent psychiatrist just for context and mm. even in his outside his work is just so amazing to me and helps me understand my identity. In fact when I was thinking about my gender identity and my gender expression I've spoken to him about it. I was like I'm not really sure what it is and to really have a partner who listens to you and gives you that space. In fact he was the one who said why are you putting yourself in a box? Just huh. explore it. Just go with the flow. Maybe one day you want want to wear a dress maybe one day you want to wear baggy pants and that's okay just wear whatever you want to wear but I think that couples therapy has helped us understand each other communicate with each other in a much better way That's what I tell everyone. Couples therapy, as you said, is not only for couples who are going through some rough patch. Mm -hmm. It's to understand each other better. I have been married for centuries. (laughs) No, not centuries. (laughs) But I feel like we've become comfortable in our resentments towards each other, in our happy moments. And sometimes you just have to look at it from an outsider's perspective into your marriage, right? right? And that can only happen when you have a professional who can really help you guide and navigate those different dimensions and ebbs and flows. So absolutely, I'm all for all sorts of therapy. I want to pivot a little and have this conversation as two South Asian women sitting in this space and having conversations about gender and sexuality. Now, you've talked about misogyny that exists in India. There is misogyny in Pakistan. So when I came to the U.S., I had this idea of how liberated the U.S. is when it comes to women's sexuality and gender identity. But to be honest, that's a myth in itself, right? Because when you look at women in the U.S., yes, they can have sex before marriage, which in Pakistan and India is tabooed and all of that, but they also see themselves through the male gaze. So, for instance, in countries like Pakistan, women are supposed to cover themselves and not objectify 
in the U.S., there is a lot of objectification of women. And we don't talk about that as much because the prevalent narrative is women are liberated in the U.S. I don't see that liberation. So my question to you is, what does sexual liberation for women really look like from sex education to self-care to self-pleasure, which we hardly talk about? You know, I will first critique that, yes, you are right. I will say that growing up in India, I was often told, like, once you go to U.S., you'll be free. Or I told myself, like, once I go to U.S., I can marry who I want. And that's true. It is true that I was able to get the life that I wanted. I was able to find and fall in love with someone who isn't from my culture. And my parents finally accepted him and saw that he made me happy. And I also generally come from a progressive family. So it was definitely, like, possible. But it's interesting because when I came here, you are right, I am subjected to not just misogyny, of course, but like racism, right? Right. I feel almost like, what does it mean to be sexually liberated? We think so much about the male gaze. And now there's often like on TikTok, there was a whole trend where it was like critiquing and talking a lot about the characters that we love on screen and how they are Mm. written through the lens of a man. And what does that mean to be a woman? And we definitely have a long way to go in the US. But I think that it's really ironic and almost double standards when we see a lot of people in America saying, oh, America is now turning into third world country like India. Oh my God, that drives (laughs) me crazy. People stop saying that. I know. It's literally like, actually, abortion is very much legal and not a topic of debate. (laughs) I mean, we have our problems. Yes, absolutely. There are caste-based sexual crimes and sexual violence, especially speaking about India has a lot of Islamophobia. I'm not saying that we are far better, but I think it's almost like hypocritical for countries like America to be saying that, oh, we're turning into like the Taliban. America is America. Exactly. And America has a racial history that it has to reconcile with. 100%. So leave other countries out (laughs) of this debate, please. (laughs) But, you know, just thinking about what it means to be someone who is sexually liberated, you know, going back to that part of the question, it is whatever it means to you, right? And I think Mm -hmm. that we have this idea that, for example, when you spoke about the hijab, like if you want to wear a hijab and you want to wear a niqab and you want to do whatever it is that makes you comfortable... That is sexual liberation to you. Whatever, however you want to showcase or show off your body or express yourself is sexual liberation. A lot of women write to me and say that I have a lot of shame around masturbation. I have a lot of shame Mm. around touching myself. In fact, I've never even looked at my own vagina. I've never looked Mm. at my own clitoris. I try to encourage people as much as possible to do that. It's great for genital self-image and it's great for your own mental health, in fact. But it's hard, you know, it's hard to like unpack a lot of the trauma, the sexual trauma that comes from being ashamed of it when Mm. we're told to cover up. And so I think sexual liberation is even just sitting down one day and saying, I have a vagina, I have a clitoris, I have a body. And like taking really small baby steps towards it and not really comparing yourselves to maybe what we see again on Western media, right? Where it's like someone who is, say, walking through the streets, wearing whatever they want. And that's completely amazing. I just don't think that is achievable and relevant to our communities and our cultures. And that's why I don't talk too much about sex toys or like I talk about them minimally but how can I talk about sex toys and that kind of like sexual liberation and wearing lingerie to someone who grew up in an extremely culturally repressed sexually repressed household where they are constantly told that their body is shameful showing their body is shame we first need to unpack that shame right and so that's where I really want to start I love it Varuna can you and I be BFFs <laughs> yes <there> we are <laughs> 
You know, it's so good and it's so validating to have conversations like a person like you and Isra who are talking about liberation and sexuality and gender identity, but you're unpacking it in a kind way mm. and an intentional way. You recognize your cultural nuances. You recognize where all of us, and I'm talking about people from different cultures, come from, rather than saying this is the only way or this is the right way. And if you're not following that particular narrow one-dimensional narrative, then there's something wrong with you. You're either backward or outdated or uneducated right. or whatever. So I love, love, love that. <laughs> And I'm sure there are so many people who already know about you and follow you. But guys, if you're not following Varuna, you're missing out on a lot, <laughs> a lot. So before you go, I wanted to let you know that every month the Immigrantly team shares what books we've been reading, what podcasts we've been listening to. And I see that you're also a reader. You I read am. a lot of books. <laughs> and I was wondering if you could give us some book recommendations or podcast recommendations that you listen to and that you enjoy. So yes, I am a voracious reader. My goal is to read 20 books this year and I'm only on book 13. So I have devoted myself to reading a book hopefully every week until the end of the year. I also listen to this podcast that talks about books. So I'm quite one dimensional. <laughs> so I will suggest two books that I just finished reading. I'm reading one right now that I can't quite recommend until I finish reading it, but it's good so far. The first book that I finished reading is Call Me By Your Name, which is a wonderful, wonderful queer book that explores bisexual men and I think it was the movie with Timothy Chalamet. I haven't seen the movie but I wanted to read the book quite badly mm. and so it's gorgeous. It is again one of those books that they don't really say I'm bisexual. It explores how they have sex with both men and women and they talk so beautifully about feeling that way and don't really like question it and it's like the conversation that he has with his dad about his sexuality and the way that he thinks about his own sexuality. I think everyone who is trying to explore their sexuality should read that. It is mm. a gorgeous, gorgeous this book. The next book I read is by Michelle Zahner. They are the lead singer of Japanese Breakfast and they wrote this book called Crying in H Mart, which is a beautiful book on grief and their mom died of cancer. But it's such an amazingly well-written book and I love books that focus on a portion of someone's life and they really bring that to light. So those are two books that I highly recommend and a podcast that I'm listening to <laughs> is kind of these two white girls that should talk about celebrities. It's called Celebrity Memoir Book Club and I... <laughs> <laughs> highly recommended. They read books written by celebrities and there are some books that are amazing and there are some books that are just shit. And the way that they <laughs> they explore the themes in it, I also highly recommend that podcast. It's on Spotify. I love fan. it. <laughs> and in the end, something that I ask all my guests, if you were to define America in a word or a sentence, how would you do that? Oh, that's a really, really hard question. I definitely have a very complicated relationship with America, but I would say that America is what you want it to be. And it isn't always that way for a lot of people. Mm. I will say for a lot of immigrants sitting out there who are like, America is the dream. Maybe it's not. Let it be whatever you need it to be. Maybe it symbolizes a dream and maybe you just need to unpack what that dream means to you. Maybe America doesn't even fit in that dream. 
Right. And I really want you to sit with that dream and learn what it really means to you because maybe it's not even America after all. Right. I love that. And <laughs> I'll just add that America, at least the way I see it, is so different for different people. Exactly. And for some, it really can be a nightmare. Exactly. It's important to acknowledge their pain and their hurt. Exactly. Sometimes we just look at things through our lens and 100%. not see what, you know, other people, other folks around us, what humanity is going through. Exactly. Varona, this was so good. Thank you for making the track. Like, I didn't know you are 40 minutes away. Oh, my God. But, you know, I am so glad that we were able to share this space. I could have done it on Zoom, but Zoom would have been a completely different dynamic. Yeah. And right. So I love this. Thank you so much for being here and sharing your thoughts. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. And I can't wait to see how our relationship develops after this. <laughs> See, this wasn't that difficult. I will admit, we talked about stuff that may have been uncomfortable, but I guess blunt truths often are not easy, yet they are so liberating. If you liked this episode, please write us a nice, sweet five-star review. Or even better, share it with your friends and family. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at ImmigrantlyPod and at Twitter at Immigrantly underscore pod. Also, I'll be honest with you. I cannot work this magic until you help us out. So please subscribe to our Patreon. You can find links on all our socials. Forgo just one cup of coffee for our awesome content. This episode was produced by me, Sadia Khan, written by Michaela Strother. An editorial review was done by Yudi Liu. And our amazing editor is Manny Simone. Until next time, take care.